So people generally don't know that he's being serious and real. Yeah, so Michelangelo and Donatello, so watch out, basically. <laughs> um, let's start with uh, the prayer, and then we'll get right into today, guys. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way right now. God, I pray that you would have your hand heavy on us right now, Lord. I, I pray that you would convict us. Challenge us, God. Overwhelm us with a sense, God, of your glory, of your majesty, of your power, Lord. And above all, Lord, let us sense, Lord, the real beauty of the good news, God, your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us, Lord, to repent of our indifference to the world Call us, Lord, in this service today, God, to a new way. Lord, have us abandon love of comfort, love of self, love of reputation. Cause us to, Lord, allow this world to just flee from us so that we prize you, Lord, above all and your gospel above all. I pray, Lord, that you would smash, Lord, our attachment to the things of this world, Lord. Have us set our eyes on the things that are above, Lord, not on the things that are below. Let us, Lord, live lives of missionary sacrifice, God. I pray that you would allow the world to see in us, God, that you are our treasure, that you are to be pursued, that you are the one that we seek and the world should seek. Put your gospel on our lips, God. Let it be fire in our mouths and let the world be wood. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was given a task, and I, you got to forgive me, I have sins in this area of going over time. I was given the task to sort of present the gospel to up-and-coming leaders, pastors, women going into ministry. I was, I was given the task of presenting the gospel, the good news, and to call you to live lives of missionary sacrifice to lay everything down for the sake of the gospel in this world. And I was told to do it in 35 minutes. (laughs) So pray for me. (laughs) If you go to your Bibles, I'm going to really get right into it. Romans chapter 1 is is at least a place to start talking today. Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, just a little background. He doesn't know this church. He has really, ultimately, we don't know... He didn't have anything necessarily to do with the, the church in, in Rome, it, it starting, it planning, and growing, it pastoring it. Um, he says in the text, he says that your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Consider that for a second. First century, relatively quickly after the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, once an antagonist towards the faith, says to this church in Rome, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's first century. That's... Not long after the resurrection of the Messiah, the promised Messiah, raised from the dead and ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, King of kings, Lord of lords. The most popular verse quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament was from the psalm, Psalm 110.1. Paul makes reference to it, about Jesus, he must reign until all his enemies are a footstool for his feet. And the Apostle Paul sees that that's where we're going in history. And so he says to the church in Rome, first century, he says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And I have to ask us a question 
in the 21st century as pastors, up-and-coming pastors and leaders, i got to ask us a question. What has happened to us? What's going on with the church today in the West? We have fallen. We are all but irrelevant to the culture. And I have to ask the question as a pastor, I have to ask the question, is the Holy Spirit not powerful? Is God not able to open the eyes of blind people and raise the dead any longer? Is that a first century thing that God was able to smash pagan cultures and literally turn the world upside down in the first century after the resurrection, but He can't do it now? Is the gospel no longer relevant? Was it relevant for people then but not now? What's happened to us as a church? That we could say in the first century the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Everybody's talking about you and your faith. Same gospel, same God, same power, same Savior who raises the dead. Amen? And what's happened to us as a church today in our culture? The church grows today in the most persecuted parts of the world. And America is almost not even on the map of church growth. What's happened to us? Is it the gospel itself? It's lost its power. It's lost its relevance. Is God no longer able to save and raise the dead? So Paul says in Romans, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's verse 8. But he opens up, and this is the message I want to talk about today. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the good news of God. Hold on to that. The Bible calls it the gospel. The Bible calls it the gospel of the kingdom. But in this text, Paul says that it's God's good news. It's good news from the creator, God, the one and only, the first, the last, the transcendent one, the one who is not dependent, the infinite one, the holy one, condescended, and he has good news for the world. This is not a suggestion. It's God, the creator of all things, the one who sustains you right now as you sit, the one who actually holds your breath in his hands. That last breath that you took and I took was borrowed from him. He sustains us at this very moment. This is his good news. Paul says, called as an apostle, set apart for the good news of God. It's God's good news. Now, this is what you want to get. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And notice what he says here. I want you to follow the text here. You have to see how Paul's vision is and how our vision has not been. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You see, here's the story. You need to get this. When we talk about the good news, the good news is not, is absolutely not a suggestion to the world. It's not. The good news is not good advice. The good news is not Jesus asking you to give him a chance or a try. You ever see the bumper sticker? I hate it. Every time I see it, I have to work on my sanctification. The bumper sticker that says, give Jesus a chance. He died for the opportunity. Now, if you have that bumper sticker, forgive me. There's no hating going on here, okay? It's the message in the bumper sticker that is something completely different than this message. 
Paul says that he's called with this gospel for God to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. And then he says to Rome, he says to you, he says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And this gospel is not something dropped into history as a novelty. You need to know that you and I sitting in this room today are in fact testimonies of God's covenant faithfulness. You're sitting in this room right now, many of us, the descendants of pagan parents, not Jewish by descent, and we sit in a long line of prophetic fulfillment. You are a testimony of God's covenant faithfulness. God promised in the scriptures beforehand that God was going to send a Messiah. Genesis 49.10, Moses says that Shiloh's going to come, and to him is going to be the obedience of the nations. God promised Messiah was going to come, a king was coming, and he was bringing a kingdom. The Psalms give you all this testimony of this Messiah who's coming. Psalm 2, God says to the Son, the Father says to the Son, He says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. And I have to ask the question to you, and I mean this with humility, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, many of you up and coming, God is going to use your life. I have to ask you this question in the Psalms. When God says to the Son, ask of me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, do we think Jesus forgot to ask? When Jesus ascended, what did he say? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Does Jesus believe that he gets the nations? Come on, saints, does he believe it? Yes. Did the Father promise it to the Son? Yes. And there's even a warning in Psalm 2 to the kings. It says to the kings, O kings, be wise. Obey the Son or you'll perish when his wrath is kindled. The promise of the Messiah is not a novelty in history. Jesus didn't come and everyone said, oh, this is an amazing thing, plan B. Now, things didn't go so well for the Father in the Old Testament, so now we have plan B. That's not Paul's gospel. Every, this is what's so compelling to me about Jesus. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I heard the gospel later on in life. Wasn't raised by Christians, didn't know the story. And one of the most compelling things to me about Christ and the gospel is that this is not a novelty. Every detail necessary to know Jesus, every detail, as Savior and as Lord, is written for us in the Old Testament long before Jesus comes. The who, the what, the where, the why, the when, the how, everything is in the Old Testament. I was sitting down with a Jewish girl while I worked as a uh, chaplain, a pastor at a hospital, four years, full-time, saw the greatest messes I could ever imagine, the most horrific stories all the time, every day in front of me, the most broken of all of life, the greatest display of depravity and sin in front of me every single day, back to back, stacked on top of each other. There's a Jewish girl that came in, she's a daughter of uh, parents who were immigrants, they were in the Israeli army, Jews, devout Jews. She comes into me and she says, Pastor Jeff, I'm not a Christian, and I don't want to hear really about Jesus. I'm Jewish, and I just want to ask you some questions. And so I started to talk to her, and then she finally says, okay, tell me about Jesus. <laughs> okay, all right. And, uh, she's, and so I said, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll make a deal with you. I will tell you about Jesus, and I will do something. I will only use the text of Scripture that you and I agree with. I won't even touch the New Testament. We will just stay in the Torah and the Tanakh, and we will just stay there. We won't even touch the New Testament. Deal? She says, 
doubt that's possible, but okay, fair. So we spent about two weeks together in the scriptures of the Old Testament while she's in this hospital getting better. And after two weeks of going into texts like Isaiah 9, 6, that God is coming as a son and as a child, El Gibor is coming, the father of eternity. Who's the only eternal one? Well, God is the only eternal one. That eternal one is coming as a son and as a child, according to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 53, he'd be pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, that he was going to be counted among the rebels, that he would justify the many because he would bear their iniquities. Psalm chapter 2, the entire passion of the Messiah, his hands and feet pierced in the text, his heart like wax melted within him, that they would wag their heads at him. And that's all what happened in the text, Micah 5, 2, that God was coming to Bethlehem. The actual timing in Daniel chapter 9 says the Messiah is going to come and be cut off. That's to die a violent death, and then the second temple is going to be destroyed. You got bookends. Brothers and sisters, you got a bookend in prophecy. The when of the Messiah, he's coming to be cut off, and then the second temple's going to be destroyed. And I would ask her, when was the temple destroyed? Well, it was destroyed first century, right, 70 AD. So if Jesus isn't the Messiah, who is? So she calls her mom up, and she says, Mom, I think I'm starting to believe in Jesus. And her mom says, no, no, we don't do that. We don't believe in Jesus. We're Jews. Shalom. <laughs> we don't believe in Jesus. And she says, Mom, is there any good reason, any good reason to believe that Jesus is not Messiah, Mashiach? Is he, what, what, why? why? Why do we believe he's not the Messiah? Is there any good reason to not believe it? And she told me that her mom was silent on the phone for like 30 seconds. Nothing. And she says, Mom... Is there any good reason not to believe in him as Messiah? And her mom said, no. Every detail about this Messiah in the Old Testament, God has a plan of history. Listen, you and I have something that is compelling the world doesn't have. Our kids are being taught today in school, secular education and in college, that they are the descendants of fish. That we are just stardust bing-banging on the surface of the cosmos in a universe that's ungoverned, that does not care. All that is above us is sky. No justice ahead of us. We live, we die, and we're gone. We're absolutely gone when we die. That's what the world is telling our children today. That the universe is just time and chance acting on matter. No governing anything. No personal order. And you and I have a story the true story of the true and living God who sustains everything. Jesus who carries the universe along to its intended destination. God has a plan of history and it is, brothers and sisters, a symphony. It is a symphony. And the amazing thing is, is this symphony plays together. You need to hear it all together. And it's God's story in history. It's his story. And Jesus comes as planned and on time to do what? To reconcile people to God. That's the story. Jesus doesn't come to make your life simply better. Jesus didn't come to simply give a drink of water to somebody. Jesus did not come just for social justice, although that's a result of the gospel. Amen? 
but he came to reconcile people to God. And when Jesus came into his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The message of the gospel always came with a call to repentance and faith, not a try Jesus. Perhaps the world thinks our message is irrelevant because it is irrelevant. When we give them the idea that Jesus is something you simply add to your story, Jesus bids us to come and die. And I like to think that the gospel is still good news. I like to think that God is still mighty to save. I like to think that God still raises the dead. And I want to ask the question, if we are losing at this point in history, what is wrong? Is it God or is it us? We have to ask that question and we have to be deadly serious about it. The good news of God always came. Read the book of Acts. Check it out later. I have 35 minutes, so I can't do the whole story. Read Acts. I challenge you to read Acts. I want to ask you to read Acts. Do it. If you're going to go into ministry, if you believe you're called by God to serve Jesus and to lay your life down for the sake of the gospel and others, I want you to read the book of Acts. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you if our typical model of evangelism and outreach to the world even resembles the book of Acts. The book of Acts, you have the confident, bold gospel being proclaimed in every place possible. And it's always with a call to repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And it was such a clear message that there's accusations being made to the Christians. And what is it in Acts when Peter's preaching? What is the charge against the early Christians? What is it? They're saying, you're filling Jerusalem up with this teaching. And I have to ask the question, is that happening in Phoenix? Do people surrounding our churches challenge us as Christians and say to us, you're filling this city up with this teaching? The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, in Acts 9, as soon as he comes to Christ, he says in Galatians that he persecuted the church, he tried to destroy it. We know that he's guilty of killing at least one Christian, throwing others in jail. And as soon as Jesus knocks him off his high horse, as soon as he turns to Christ, it says, read the text, Acts chapter 9, immediately, immediately he goes to Damascus and he goes to the synagogues and it says that he argued with the Jews, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And here's the deal. He goes into a religious context. How offensive. <laughs> Paul, you shouldn't be so controversial. You shouldn't just try to be antagonistic. But Paul goes into Damascus and he goes into the synagogues and he proclaims Christ and he starts being the kind of Christian that actually argues with others for the, for the faith. Tells the truth in a sense that he's bold and confident and he's willing to take the hits. And you've got to look at Acts 9. What's the result? What's the result of bold proclamation of the gospel that comes into the culture and sacrifices everything for the sake of love for the other person? What's the result? It says, ready? Some people wanted to kill him. The church had peace. It was built up. And it says it was being multiplied. People have said to me, Jeff, I don't know if, it, over the years, you shouldn't go to those hard places. You shouldn't go to the Mormon temple where there's 100,000 people present. You shouldn't go to the Jehovah's Witnesses where they're at. You shouldn't hold public debates with atheists. You shouldn't go downtown and try to create relationships. That's not the way to do it. You hold barbecues. You have UFC fight nights. That's how you preach the gospel. And I want to say 
show me that in the New Testament. I say a bold proclamation of the faith that gets in the face of the culture and sacrifices everything. Of course there's friendships. Of course there's barbecues. Of course. But that should be like breathing. That's like asking me, did you breathe today? Well, of course. But what about the other parts? What, a part of the, what about the part of the gospel proclamation that goes into the face of the culture, proclaims the gospel, and risks everything? I always say when people say to me, that's antagonistic. That's kind of, you know, it's kind of getting in the face. It's a little rough-edged. I don't know if you should do that. You should sort of make friends for 10 years, then maybe if you get a chance, tell them about Jesus. I say, well, you know, Paul, uh, people tried to kill him when he preached the gospel. Nobody's tried to kill me yet, so maybe I'm doing something wrong. Look in the book of Acts. You see a bold proclamation of what? Here's a story of the gospel. We are sinners against a holy and limitlessly powerful God. He is love and he is justice and he is good. And here's the story. He's good and I'm not. He is righteous and I am not. And the story of the gospel always came with a reminder of sin. Read Romans. There is none righteous, none who seeks for God. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The law is given, Paul says, to shut you up, that your mouth may be closed. And he says in Romans chapter 3, read the text, he says, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That proclamation comes, a reminder of God and his goodness and holiness, a reminder of our sin, and in the story of Messiah, God became man. Let me say that to you again. Because that's a shouting moment. God became man. The infinite took on finite. The limitless became man, was dependent upon his mother. He had pimples, stomach aches, scratched his knee, was hungry, was homeless. He endured all the suffering that you and I have tasted. There's nothing you can give to Jesus by way of complaint that he hasn't touched, that he doesn't know better than you. Everything in our experience he knows, but not just suffering among us, but suffering and dying for sinners. The Messiah was to come to redeem sinners. It is about our sin against a holy God. That's the story. We're not sick. And as soon as we start telling the world that story, that we're not just sick, the Bible says we are dead in our sins and trespasses. Paul does not pull punches in Romans. Read the first three chapters. It's not something a pastor goes to a hospital bed with to encourage people. Well, there's none righteous, not even one. None who seeks for God. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The poison of ass was under their lips. They suppressed the truth of God and unrighteousness. It's not like the most encouraging message. You sit at a hospital bed unless, of course, they need the gospel. The message comes with our sin and the holiness of God and the story of Messiah who took on flesh, perfectly obeyed the law of God in the place of sinners, died for sinners, was crucified, was buried and rose again, and is ascended. And here's the message. The call. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from sin to trust in this Messiah. The call to turn from sin to come and fall on him, to abandon self-righteousness, to abandon all my sin, and to come and to embrace Jesus and hide in him. The message of the gospel did not come in a way that could actually express to somebody that this is something you try out, and maybe that is where we fail. I want you to consider for a second in the proclamation of the gospel to turn it from your sin, to trust in Christ, to flee sin and self-righteousness, to fall on him and put your faith in him for forgiveness and salvation, to be credited with his righteousness, 
to be declared righteous by faith apart from works of law in this Messiah who died, was buried, and rose again. That message came out always consistent, repent and believe, repent and believe. And listen closely. In Romans chapter 1, I want you to catch this next test. Romans 1.16, it says this, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Let me say it to you again. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You need to hear it again. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not your personality, Christian. It's not your barbecue. It's not your UFC fight night. It's not the friendship you develop over five years with a person. It is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. It's not my unique flavor and my taste in music. It's not creating a clique that looks fun for others to join. This is the message of the gospel, repentance and faith, be reconciled to God through this Messiah. And that is what we're missing. A call, of course, to be loving and kind and friendship and uh, do everything we can to display the love of God in the world. But we tell the world the message. He died for sinners, was buried and rose again, and he bids you to come and turn and trust in him. Listen to how Jesus preached the gospel when he would call people to come to him. Imagine it for a second in our context. I want to just be transparent with you guys. Think about it for a second. Think, think about it. <laughs> Thousands of people show up to church one day, right? Mega church situation, right? Thousands of people could show up one day. What do we do as Christians in our culture? What do we do? Everything we can to keep them. Everything we can to keep them. I'm not indicting any one church. I'm saying... We soften our message, we soften the blow for the sake of numbers. Luke 14, Jesus has thousands of people in front of him. Think about it for a second. He has massive crowds. The movement looks like, hey, it's finally gaining some headway. This is finally a comforting moment for us. We actually have some followers now. Lots of people hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus in Luke chapter 14 does something astonishing. Read it in your text, Luke 14, 25. He says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, it does not hate his father, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Where is that message today? Brothers and sisters, we ask ourselves the questions. Why, why are we seen as irrelevant today in our culture? Why does the world see us as just an oddity of the past? Where's our message? Do I, sound, do I even sound like Jesus? Saw a guy at Starbucks once. I'm sitting down. Dude comes in. Hippie dude. <laughs> That's why I like him. I'd probably hang out with him. He's like, you know, I, he must, I don't know if he was like high on Jesus or something else, but he was definitely high. He was floating. <laughs> Walks by a guy at a table, and, you know, I just see this whole thing go down. He's like, dude, man, dude, like, 
man, Jesus loves you, man. He just loves you, man. God just wants to wrap his arms around you and just love on you, man. He loves you. That's the gospel, man. He just loves you, man. And I was like, true God is love, yes. And he is infinitely loving, and I don't think I can even comprehend it. But I have to ask the question, if, the, if God loves the person just as he is, what's the need for Jesus? And I want to ask the question, when Jesus proclaimed the gospel, who was love incarnate, did he proclaim the gospel in a way where he did not confront somebody where they were at and tell them that you are over here and you need to come over here? And Jesus in Luke 14 actually does some damage. Think about it. Jesus would fail every single seminary course on evangelism that's out there. Every single one. Thousands of followers. We'd be like, collect them. Let's go. Let's give them some chocolate milk and some cotton candy. What do we got to do? Keep them in here, right? And Jesus turns around and says to them, all right, thousands of followers. They're like, yes, yes, finally, we're growing. And Jesus says, if you don't hate father, mother, sister, brother, wife, even your own life, if you don't come to die, don't come. Come die and rise again. Or don't come. Jesus is the uh, master of the church shrinkage movement. And they leave. Jesus is left with 12 disciples. He turned every single one away. And he turns to those that are left and he says to them, do you also want to leave? And what's their answer? They say, where where are we going to go? Listen, you have the words of eternal life. They understood. The crowd that left did not understand that this was about life and peace with God. The disciples knew it. The crowd did not. That's why they left. And when we proclaim the gospel, do we proclaim the gospel the way that Jesus did, the way that Paul did, the way the apostles did, where they told people this is about dying and rising again. This is about you being united to this Messiah, God as man, dead for sinners, buried and risen again, ascended and seated, putting his enemies under his feet. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news of God, the good news of his kingdom. Be reconciled to God. Come and die. That was the consistent message of Jesus and the apostles. Read Romans 6 after Paul declares that by the deeds of the law, Romans 3.28, there shall no flesh be justified in his eyes. He then moves on after grace and grace and God crediting to us righteousness that's not our own through faith and God covering our sins, Romans 4, and never counting them against us again. In Romans 6, Paul says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sins that grace may increase? His answer is this. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin continue to live in it? Jesus talked about coming to die. Paul talked about a death occurring in your life and mine when we came to Christ. And if we don't get back to that message of the gospel, we lose. And we ask why the culture is decaying around us. Jesus says, you are the salt. You are the light. Salt, listen, is a preservative. It preserves. We have in our culture today, in the last 40 years, 55 million babies dead. 55 million. You can't even say that and make sense of it. 55 million, 3,000 babies dead a day in our country, in our country, in our culture. These abortion mills around you and around me. 
Where's our salt? Where's our light? If we're not the salt, if we're not light to the world, then there isn't any salt, there isn't any light. Jesus says, you are the city on the hill. Nobody else takes up the reins for us here, guys. It's us. And the problem is, we're too afraid to die. Listen, I'm going to challenge you with this. This might hurt your feelings. This might sting a little bit. But let me just challenge you with something. If you don't come into this to die, don't come. You're only hurting us. You're, you're not helping. We don't need people to fill shoes. We don't need people to get a check. We don't need people to fill a spot on a stage. We need people who are ready to live lives of missionary sacrifice and to die for the sake of the gospel and the world and love for others. Walter Martin once said this. He says, you have to be willing to be hated by the very people you love and are trying to reach. And I think I ask the question of us today as leaders. I'm in this with us. We are a body together. I am not jabbing and talking down to any of us. We are in this together. But this is the fault of the church. We have to ask the question, if we are not living lives of missionary sacrifice, we have to ask the question whether or not we've actually died or not. Have I been raised up with Christ or not? Or do I seek my life as most important now? Is my treasure truly in heaven or is it here in, in the coolest stuff, in the coolest edgy programs? Is it in the house, in the car, in a pretty smooth and easy life? Am I in love with comfort and being well received? Where's your idol? Where's your idol? If you come to serve Jesus in ministry, don't come for the stuff in the building. Come for the sake of the lives of the lost. Paul said, Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the essence of our message. We proclaim the truth of the gospel. It's not just about serving others. It's not just about the drink of water. It's not just about that. It's about repentance and faith. It's about reconciliation with God. And if we don't get back to that message, then we have lost our culture Repentant believe. I want to share one story with you because you may want to hear this. So I, we're involved in some heavy ministry to the uh, Mormon temple. Hundreds of, th hundreds of thousands over the years have showed up. I've lost count as to how many Mormons have come to Christ as a result of it, including a Mormon missionary on his mission at the temple. We have videos that go around the world to all the cults, religions, and outreach to atheists and things like that, but I'm going to share this with you. We're told this. Don't go to abortion mills. It's too in your face. It's too abrasive. It's too risky. Don't do it. It's not the way you reach those women. And I said, but there's babies being dismembered and disemboweled behind those walls. I have to go. It's not about just going to rescue a baby. It's, about, it's not about protesting. It's about the gospel. It's about rescuing their souls and the babies. So we go. And over the last year, over 30 babies now saved from death at abortion mills. Oh, yeah. One day I go, and I pull up, and there is this hardcore, pipe-hitting atheist outside. <laughs> he brought a girl in, and so he's out there talking to my people, and I walk up, and he is fire-breathing atheist. Fire! <laughs> He is yelling, screaming, fighting, and I walk up, and he's like, I see, the, the, the air is taken out of everyone there. They are just like, <sighs> right? 
He's like, I hate you guys, and I hate what you're doing here, and I'm going to stay out here just to stop you from talking to these girls. I'm going to stay out here just for that. So I get in, I start talking to them, I'm trying to love them and be gracious to them. But just, I said, where are you coming from? You an atheist? He said, yeah, I'm an atheist. And I said, well, so you believe we evolved through, you know, simpler biological processes all the way up to where we are now? He says, yeah, yeah, evolution. I said, okay, great. So what, what's, what's wrong? Why are you here? Why are you complaining? He said, I think it's wrong. I said, no, you already gave that up. You're stardust. I'm stardust. Stardust bumping into stardust doesn't make a difference, does it? You're just a bag of biological stuff, and so am I, and so are they. So what are you, what are you so concerned about? I said, I think you're acting inconsistently with what you say you believe. I think you're an image bearer of God, and you know the God that I'm talking about. And your problem is not knowledge of God or light. It's sin, like it was for me. And I gave him the story of the gospel, and he kept coming back, and I kept taking his legs off. Kept coming back, kept taking his legs off, preaching the gospel to him. And at the end of this whole discussion, after two hours of fire-breathing dragon, he says to me, you know what? I, I don't agree with what you're doing. And, and, I, and I, st- I, still, I still disagree, I, I still disagree, but I gotta, I gotta tell you something. I really like you. <laughs> he really likes me. After I just told this guy to repent and believe and come to Christ for eternal life and peace with God, and if he doesn't, he's gonna perish in his sins and he really likes me. So you can do it with love and grace and compassion. This is what I'm gonna share with you. The story's not over. Because this atheist was there in the providence of God, because I got to preach the gospel to him, because he was right in that spot, my friend Justin, who was with me, was so worn out, was so worn out that he decided to walk away and around the building to the front where he weren't at before, where you can see outside Planned Parenthood to look. And just because this atheist was there, and just because he was wearing us out, Justin was in his head praying to God, I think God, I'm done. This can't be effective. This is too crazy. It's too much conflict. This can't be good. So he gets a sign, and the sign says, please don't hurt your baby. We'll help you. And he goes to the front where the doors are, where you can see out. He stands there, and he plants, and he's praying, Lord, I just worthless. I'm not coming back. I can't do this. And just that moment, because the atheist was there in the providence of God, and Justin walks to the front with a sign that says, Please don't hurt your baby, we'll help you. Inside Planned Parenthood was a man named Chris. And Chris was praying in his mind while his wife was in the back getting ready in pre-op. In the lobby, God, if you want me to do something, give me a sign. (laughs) All right. So he looks out. And he prays another prayer. He says, God, if you want me to stop this, let that man be the owner of dozens of cars. That van down the street opens the doors, walks straight up to Justin, who's there now. (laughs) He says, excuse me, are you the owner of that van? Justin that van down there? Chris says, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's my van. And the guy tells him the story. I asked God if that's your van, if I should stop this. And Justin goes, get in there. Get your wife right now. You go in there and you get your wife. Chris runs in the back. He busts into Planned Parenthood. Gets his, he wants to get his wife out. They're like, no, you can't go back there. Pre-op, you can't go back. He's like, you open that door right now. And finally, he was able to get through those doors and to get his wife. And they told me, don't go to abortion mills with the gospel. It's too abrasive. 
It's about the gospel. The problem there is not political, it's heart. And hearts don't change without the good news. You need to be willing to risk everything. And that's not the end of the story. Tina, would you come on up? Where are you at? This is the baby. So I wanted to bring you because I wanted people to love on you and just pray for you and just bless you. Can you do you want to share anything with anybody, something on your heart you want to say? Um, we're very, very grateful for them saving our baby's life and opening our eyes. And they've really helped us so much and changed our point of view. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have my baby. And so if you guys can do this and help people, I think it would be great. I mean, they helped me so much and opened my eyes and my husband's eyes. And I, we are forever grateful and like... Just, I don't know what to say. I'm just so grateful that without them, I wouldn't have my baby. And they opened my eyes and gave me this beautiful gift. And God is just so wonderful. And you guys are also wonderful for doing this and opening people's eyes and helping them. And yeah. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tina. Thank, Thank you. you so much. For everything. Please say hi to her. Bless that baby. I have an irrefutable argument. You can't refute it. About bringing the gospel to the hard places despite the conflict. That's my argument. That's my argument. If, if we don't go to the hard places, people don't hear the gospel. If we don't go to the hard places, we don't bring the light of the gospel. You have to sacrifice everything for the sake of love for the other person. I got I to go. <laughs> so let me give to you something. I, I was on my heart. I wanted to read to you. It's an old hymn. Most of you know it. Rise up. O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, the kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task, rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. Let's pray. Father, bless this room. Lord, challenge us, convict us, cause us now to repent of our indifference. Lord, allow us to live lives of missionary sacrifice with a clear communication of the gospel that our people see in us 
and hear from us. God, cause your church to repent and to come to die. Give us strength to die for others, to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.